0: Physics world. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. In this episode, we're going to explore the life and scientific legacy of the nuclear physicist Trudy Goldhaber, who overcame great adversity in her life to become the first female physicist at Brookhaven National Laboratory. This podcast is sponsored by GNBKL Group, a world-class manufacturer of vacuum hardware, including chambers, valves, and components. Make sure you watch their online game show, Will It Bloat?, where they place everyday objects such as a hot dog, a chocolate Easter bunny, and even an air cylinder into a vacuum chamber to see if they bloat. You can watch America's favorite vacuum show at www.vacuumchamber.com. The nuclear physicist Gertrude Scharf Goldhaber overcame many obstacles to become a distinguished scientist and an advocate for women in physics. Known to her friends and family as Trudy, Her career began just as the Nazi party was rising to power in her native Germany, and as a Jewish woman, she faced multiple forms of discrimination. Trudy escaped Nazi Germany in 1935, arriving in the U.S. in 1939 with her physicist husband Maurice Goldhaber. In 1950, she became the first female physicist at Brookhaven National Laboratory on Long Island, New York. There, she made important contributions to our understanding of nuclei and also sought stronger recognition for women in science. Trudy died in 1998, and now archivists at the Leo Beck Institute at the Center for Jewish History in New York City have finished processing her papers, with the aim of making them available online. To talk about the extraordinary life of Trudy Goldhaber, I'm joined down the line from the U.S. by her sons Fred and Michael Goldhaber, and Fred's wife, Susan Goldhaber. Also with us is Renata Evers, the Bruno and Suzanne Scheidt director of collections at the Leo Beck Institute. The interview begins with Fred, followed by Michael. So Fred, uh, Trudy was born in Germany in 1911. Can you tell us a bit about her early life and why she decided to pursue a career in physics?
1: Her her father in particular, uh, he had two daughters, no sons, and he was hoping that somebody in the family would carry on the family business, which he had uh, really created. Um, And he brought that up with and she said she was not interested in that one little bit. Um, she wanted to learn what the world was made of and not what uh, particular businesses were doing.
2: Maybe I can jump in here. It was wholesaling what were known as colonial warren, which were uh, the types of agricultural products that came from Colonies, not necessarily German colonies, but some colonies, which included things like rice. It was all food: rice, uh, cocoa, uh, sugar, and other such things.
0: Okay, but Tr- Tr- Trudy wasn't interested in that, and it was the the, the, the greater the the universe in physics that uh, that she 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 wanted to uh, con- to devote her life to.
2: That's right. I I might add. Um, she was born in Mannheim, uh, and some of her earliest memories came from World War One, uh, which started only three years after her birth. And uh, she then the the family moved to Munich when she was about seven or eight, after right after the war, um, and. One of the experiences she had, I don't know how how it influenced her exactly, but was seeing from her apartment window a battle between the um, communist groups that were trying to take over Germany after the war and what remained of the army. And uh, that was obviously a shocking thing to see. Um, She then went to a girls' high school. Uh, that was, f- for the smartest girls in Munich, I guess, uh, it, was, it was a relatively small public high school. And she was always at the top of her class. And that certainly uh, gave her confidence that she could go on and do something like physics.
0: And Michael, the, the, the Nazi party rose to power as Trudy was doing her PhD. What well, what effect did this have on her and her family, I would imagine it was, it was a very terrible effect.
2: Her parents actually left Germany before Hitler rose to power and uh, managed to take a lot of their funds with them. Uh, but then, uh, the, for, for reasons that I find hard to understand, her father, who was a very strong-minded person, asked his two daughters who were still in germany whether they would be willing to leave because uh, otherwise he couldn't support them Um, and um, they both declined i don't think they understood politics or or the situation at all so the parents returned to germany and her father was quickly arrested and uh put in jail somewhere. I'm really not sure where. Um, and uh, was only allowed to, to uh, get out of jail when he agreed to bring his money back to Germany. So he did that. And uh, again, for reasons I don't really understand, my mother, who had learned to drive against her father's will, came and picked him up from the prison wherever it was and drove him by night back to munich which she said he was very grateful for and therefore was happy why that he had learned to drive i'm really not sure why such secrecy was needed but uh for some reason that's what happened and then in her continued university career although she uh managed to get a phd summa cum laude Uh, she nonetheless uh, was boycotted by the other students and the professors in terms of any kind of informal interchange, except for one professor who was Arnold Sommerfeld. And he was one of the most famous physicists there, but he continued to be friendly to her. Uh, Otherwise, it was very hard.
3: I believe that uh, Trudy was actually the last Jewish student to receive uh, her PhD in Munich, and there was uh, there was effort by her advisor to downplay or even hide the fact of her Jewish heritage. Um, and then, subsequently, when she went to England, her life was made a bit more difficult by the fact that she actually had her PhD already because uh, there was more funding for immigrants who came as students still.
0: So Susan Trudy completed her PhD in condensed matter physics with Walter Gerlach um, in 1935. And then, as, as you say, she went to the UK. Um, what was her time like uh, in the UK?
3: Well, uh, I believe that she had significant financial uh, constraints because of not being able to take funds out of Germany. I don't know what funds she had at that point. Uh, She was without family there. She did know Maurice. Uh, They had met as students in Berlin, uh, as was the... um, pattern in Germany and in some European countries, students spent a semester or two at a different university from their home university. And she had met Maurice. They had uh, gotten to know each other. And I don't know if he had any influence on her coming to England, but um, because she had limited funds, um, she relied on her possession of a Leica camera, which she sold, to my understanding, she sold at some point soon after she got to England. And uh, I heard that she survived uh, for rent and food on the proceeds from that camera. We always thought that was an incredibly... um, Important story, and that it was unique. But I have since learned that this story was repeated many, many times. And the manufacturer, the head of the Leica company, who was not Jewish, realized early on that people who Jews who left Germany would have difficulty with money and he actually put made available to young people who were immigrating emigrating from Germany he put into their hands like <laughs> a camera wow. just like that. and i read this story a few years ago so this was not a one off story he was aware of the value of his camera and he used that as a very noble deed, I think. Yes, yeah. To help young people. So um, perhaps more research is necessary into that story, but I did read it in print. Wow, that's,
0: that's interesting. So, so Maurice is Maurice Goldhaber, and um, he and Trudy married in 1939, and they moved to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where Maurice had a position um, unfortunately, she was unable to work at the university because of of, of some sort of anti nepotism rule. So, so Fred, how how did she keep her physics career going um, in those years uh, at the University of Illinois? Well,
1: she she wasn't getting any extra money, but uh, she worked in my father's lab, not particularly on things that he was working on. Um, and during that time, she she found, uh, she did an experiment which showed something that hadn't been known before, although it certainly had been suspected. It was known that when a nucleus was struck by a proton or neutron, um, that the nucleus would emit some particles as well as having a, a large fragment that would stay, stay intact. And what she found in her experiments in Illinois, uh, which were, as we said, in Maurice's lab, that uh, when such a process occurred spontaneously, that is, a nucleus broke up uh, spontaneously, that again, there would be a few extra nucleons, neutrons and protons, that would come out separately. And uh, so that this process of nuclear reactions um, didn't simply result in, say, one big fragment and nothing much else but always there were a few extra particles that were emitted in the process and that was important aside from anything else in explaining how uh, nuclear reactions could keep uh, could keep proceeding because when the, when the uh, extra particles came out, when the nucleus fragmented into two big pieces, that there were always some little ones, that those could in turn generate further reactions where they would strike other nuclei and break them up so that this could become a self-sustaining process. And that was an important feature that really explained how, nuclear fission could, uh, which means nuclear breakup, could lead to uh, a continuing process where more and more nuclei would end up being fragmented so that it it would be uh, a generating process for lots of further uh, nuclear fragmentations.
0: And am I, am I right in thinking that that she wasn't actually allowed to to publish that finding because of of its importance to to the war effort?
1: That's correct. Uh, so it was only published after the war, after the Second World War.
2: Let Let me add um, a couple of things, or or from my point of view, differences of opinion, I guess. As, as you mentioned, she started out in what's now known as condensed matter physics. It wasn't known as that at all when she was working in it. But um, our father was doing nuclear physics. And so to come into his lab and work there, the only thing she could do was nuclear physics. And they were both very well aware of the bomb project because my father was a good friend of Leo Szilard, who who was one of the instigators of it so he had known about it even in england actually before there was such a project and he knew they he knew the importance uh for nuclear fission of doing the kind of experiment that fred uh, described so the particular nucleus she was in fact looking at was uranium-235 and they did that with complete understanding of what the consequences would be
0: so, Michael, in 1950, Trudy and Maurice joined the staff of Brookhaven National Laboratory, which is on Long Island, just outside of New York, where they spent the rest of their careers. What's Trudy's scientific legacy from her time at Brookhaven?
2: Well, it's, it's very considerable. Um, she uh, f- found herself uh, totally absorbed in the kind of physics she had learned to do in Illinois. And And she kept doing it in a very systematic way uh, determining um, the uh, energy levels of of numerous nuclei um, particularly the so-called even even nuclei that had an equal number of uh, an even number of protons and of neutrons and she therefore contributed a great deal to the understanding of how the nucleus was constructed in a way what the forces were that held it together uh, with two different models Uh, one was known as the collective model that uh, basically had all the neutrons and protons sort of in a sea working together and the other was a model that she herself came up with called the variable moment of inertia model that allowed that as nuclei um, uh, altered in size and and uh, in uh, spin, they could actually well a larger nucleus could uh, change its shape as it as it spun more rapidly in a higher energy state, and Fred actually wrote a couple of papers with her on that topic. Uh, the other thing she did uh, which was quite pioneering at the time at that time every uh, a huge number of nuclear physicists would have a chart of the nuclei nuclides as it was called which was actually uh, published by general electric in those days and it was a large chart that showed each uh, isotope uh, displayed What she did was introduce a third dimension so that one could see the energy levels of the uh, first excited state. And um, in order to do that, she had uh, a carpentry shop make uh, little uh, rods that would attach to this uh, chart. And she had a portable version that she could carry around with her to give uh talks uh where she had to stick in the higher energy levels by hand um and had one mounted on the wall in her office she was quite proud of that and it was one of the first three-dimensional plots that had been uh widely seen now of course that's extremely easy to do but she in a way invented that as a as a way to explain data
3: Michael mentioned um, that uh, Trudy and Fred wrote a paper, uh, one or more papers together, two papers together. And um, certainly there have been scientific collaborations between father and son and husband and wife, probably siblings as well. But I think this probably was unique in terms of a mother and and son mm. writing a paper.
2: Yes, I looked into that at the time, and it, it did seem to be unique. Uh, I don't know about now. And and Michael, um,
0: in, in addition to, to Trudy's um, contributions to uh, physics, um, she was also very, very active in trying to get more women to 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 study physics and see physics as a uh, as a career uh, she served on the American Physical Society's committee on the status of women can can you give us a, a feeling of um you know h- how she viewed um uh women in physics
2: well um you know she was always very proud of being a woman in physics that's certainly true i don't think she Uh, really realized that there was a possibility of of, uh, spreading that sense of pride to to many other women uh, until the feminist movement really began in the U.S. in the mid-60s. And that's when uh, the Physical Society set up that organization. She then became very involved with that. First of all, that improved her career to some extent. She was, because of that, I think she was appointed to the board that ran Fermi Lab, and uh, also she was on a, a National Academy of Sciences uh, panel that tried to increase the number of women in physics in science in general, and uh, and uh, she took that. Both of those things quite seriously, and 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 worked hard. I think from that point on. At the very end of her career, when actually she had been forced to retire, uh, she actually traveled around the country giving a talk uh, about women in science based on her own research into the history of it that went back to the 19th century. So that was really one of her. Key final uh, efforts and was quite important to her.
3: Speaking as a non-physicist uh, in the in the physicist family, uh, I have to say that I always um, viewed Trudy as a pioneer. Uh, she was aware of it, but she also. Um, sort of marched to her own drummer and really went forward to encourage young people, particularly young women, to go into science and particularly into physics. Uh, as part of that, she was a founder of the Brookhaven Women in Science group, which um, has provided encouragement and Uh, Finances a a scholarship for first one, and now at this point, uh, two young women every year, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful um, organization that is supported by men and women. And I'm very pleased to see that there are men at Brookhaven who are championing this as well.
2: Maybe there's one more point that's somewhat interesting. when she was a student in uh, in physics in uh, in Germany, it was not she was not the first woman. Uh, that, for example, Lisa Meitner, who was one of the very founders of nuclear physics, also uh, was around. But so there were more, slightly more uh, women in Europe. Uh, Doing physics than there were in the U.S. For some reason, uh, certainly uh, in the in the 50s and 60, early 60s, it was considered very weird for a young woman to go into science, and I think that was particularly strong in the U.S. rather than in other places.
0: So, Renata, I'd like to bring you in um, on my next question. Uh, Trudy had to overcome many obstacles in her life because of her gender and because of her ancestry. Do her collected papers provide insights into her struggles and and the struggles of others?
4: Sure, that's a very good question. Um, So the papers of Gertrude or Trudy Goldhaber Showed that she had to struggle with many obstacles in her life. Um, The main ones, her gender, being Jewish, being German, and being an immigrant. So she studied physics, when still very few women pursued studying, and then she chose science, a male-dominated study area. Women in Germany had only been allowed to attend university lectures since 1891, and then gradually were allowed to be admitted as students, um, while it took even longer to be able to earn a PhD and then work in academia. Trudy completed her PhD at the University of Munich in 35 in 1935, in the nick of time, the same year the Nuremberg Laws were enacted. Her Jewish background made it impossible to proceed with a postdo- postdoctoral fellowship in Germany, and then she left for London, as you heard. There, she had to compete with many other immigrants, but ultimately found a position in the laboratory of George P. Thompson, who won the 1937 Nobel Prize in Physics. And when she moved to the US with her husband, Maurice, who had accepted a position at the University of Illinois, she was refused a paid position because of strict nepotism laws at the university. The only way she could remain active as a researcher was working as an unpaid assistant in her husband's lab. There's one episode that her husband did not become directly involved in the Manhattan Project because of his wife's German roots. Um, So she was only granted a paid position 15 years after she had earned her PhD. um, And she and her husband were offered positions at the Brookhaven National Laboratory as part of the Cold War efforts of the US. Her husband eventually became the director of the Institute. She was forced to retire and leave the laboratory when she reached retirement age, while male scientists in her position, such as her husband, could continue doing research. However, um, never defeated, she engaged in professional groups and mentored many emerging scientists.
0: Okay, and Renata, Trudy's papers will soon be archived at the Center for Jewish History in New York City, why is it important to archive papers of physicists such as Trudy?
4: Yeah, So the family of Trudy Goldhaber, Gertrude Goldhaber, approached the Leo Beck Institute in New York in 2017 to archive the papers of their parents, Gertrude and Maurice. The Leo Beck Institute is a partner organization of the Center for Jewish History in Manhattan, which was set up in 2000. The history of the Leo Beck Institute goes back to 1955, when a group of German Jewish emigrant scholars and intellectuals decided to create a repository for the papers of German-speaking Jews to document their history, culture, and lives. Since then, we have been collecting, safeguarding, and preserving the papers of more than 12,000 families and individuals, which detail the life and circumstances of families of German-speaking origin in many facets, and often over generations. It is an archive of everyday life, rooted in the experience of a minority group shaped by the Holocaust and immigrant experience. We make these collections available to scholars and the general public. Since 2012, all our collections um, have been digitized and are easily accessible, and we continue to do so, processing and digitizing, and accepting, of course, new collections. We are especially thrilled and delighted that the papers of a couple of distinguished scientists are now part of the collections, detailing both their work and social and historical circumstances, so that it is possible to study their scientific work also from the perspective of social sciences. And we are especially grateful for a grant of the American Institute of Physics, which allowed us to process the papers of Gertrude Goldhaber together with archivists at the Center for Jewish History, and the files are currently being digitized with the help of, of another grant so that they will be easily accessible sometime this year. And we are looking forward to it.
0: Oh, well, that's fantastic, Renata. I'm sure people with an interest in the history of physics will look forward to being able to, uh, to take a good look at those documents. So thanks, everyone, for, for being in the podcast.
3: Thank you for having thanks us. Thanks for
2: having us.
0: I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast, which is sponsored by GNBKL. Do check out their video series, Will It Bloat, at www.vacuumchamber.com forward slash videos. Thanks to the Goldhaber family, Michael, Fred, and Susan, for sharing their recollections of the extraordinary life of Trudy Goldhaber. I would also like to thank Renata Evers for talking about Trudy's papers and how they're being archived. And a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week when I'll be in conversation with a physicist who is part of a team that's created a very efficient refrigeration system using artificial muscles. See you then. Physics World